Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed Hour 1, encourage you to go and check that out later today, either at MyFaithRadio.com or download it on the Faith Radio app. You need to have the Faith Radio app on your phone so that you can catch up on what you miss. And it's the easiest way to share the ministry with others. So be a radio missionary. Download the app onto your phone. It's Faith Radio. It's like purple. It says Faith in the middle of it in case there's like, you know, a bunch of them that show up on your screen when you, you know, ask Google Play or the App Store, you know, to find it for you. You're looking for uh, the Faith Radio app. And then you're going to, you know, yeah, check out what we're doing. We got all kinds of great stuff on there. There you go. Um, Yesterday, a church was officially born or a denomination, an association of churches. Uh, and, And actually, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, we should celebrate and talk about the way that God continues to plant churches in our local communities today. And if you say to yourself, oh, my my community doesn't need new churches, my community needs the revitalization of existing churches, uh, it's important to understand, like, how the church is planted and rooted and grows and then has a life cycle. And yes, in some cases, you know, dies dies in, in order that new churches could be born. And yes, there are those stories of church revitalization, but it's really church replanting. And so if you're in a church that um, you say to yourself looks like it's reaching the end of its life cycle, you could consider inviting a new church to be planted in your church. It's called replanting as opposed to revitalization. And you might think about that. Well, what happened yesterday um, uh, at the network or association or denominational level is that the global Methodist church was officially born, launched, rooted. You might want to check that out in your own community, what's going on um, locally with the United, what, what was the United Methodist Church, and now um, conservative congregations, those who uphold uh, fidelity and marriage between one man and a woman, and one woman, or chastity and singleness, those congregations have now moved out of the United Methodist Church to form the Global Methodist Church. It's an interesting uh, evolution in the life of that denomination that mirrors what happened among um, ELCA churches. Those of you familiar with the ELCA, um, I mean, the word evangelicals at the beginning of that, but that's a, it's a poor description of ELCA churches. Um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America um, birthed a new denomination, North American Lutheran Church, a number of years ago for this same reason. So maybe you have NALC churches in your community now or other expressions of Lutheranism that are no longer connected to the ELCA as the ELCA went in the direction of uh, the same direction that the UCC, United Church of Christ, and then the Episcopal Church, which birthed Anglicanism, 
uh, rebirth Anglicanism, maybe a way of thinking about that here in the United States, or the Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA, birthed, you know, at one point, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, um, the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and then in 2014, also um, ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. Okay, so all of those new expressions of Anglicanism, Lutheranism, Presbyterianism, and now Methodism, all these new expressions are denominations where fidelity in marriage between one man and one woman or chastity and singleness. So this addresses the issue of human identity and human sexuality and the definitions of marriage and ordination. All of these new expressions of the church, including the global Methodist church, um, are those uh, which uphold um, God's good design of humanity as male and female intentionally, um, and that biology actually does indicate gender, and that marriage is designed by God to be between one biological male and one biological female um, in a monogamous marriage. Right, there you go. That's my cleverest way of saying all of that. Um, So that's what's going on on that front. You might want to check out how that is being reflected in your own community. Uh, Starting with uh, Ukraine, uh, but trotting around the globe from there, we're going to talk next with Mindy Bells. If you haven't checked her out lately, she's got a substack where she posts something called the Globe Trot blog. Um, We're going to talk about what is happening around the world with Mindy Bells. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. now, Mindy Bells. We're going to do a little globe trot with her. You should follow her Substack, mindybells.substack.com. Mindy, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be with you. So um, you have a lot of challenging headlines for us. Let's start with Ukraine. Um, sure. Talk with us about the, yeah, about just, it's just, it's such an ongoing nightmare, but we need to keep visiting, revisiting it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of engagement, and that's a good thing. You've got more European leaders showing up in Ukraine this week, and um, uh, Germany going back and forth on on how much, what role it will play in, in continuing embargo on oil and, and sanctions and things like that. These are all things that affect the situation on the ground. But on the ground, you know, we continue to see a lot of focus in the town of Mariupol, which is that that bridge between the area that Russia already controls called the Donbass and the Crimean Peninsula, which it also took over in 2014. And and there was some, you know, it's just forward and backward. There was some um, uh, some progress on evacuating civilians that we were seeing overnight. And then uh, now I'm seeing and, and hearing that, that they haven't actually begun the evacuations yet. So we're still waiting to see if that actually will happen. Um, but I, I think, you know, we can't, it's it's really, this war is now uh, two months old. It's easy to um, to lose focus, to, to wonder if it's just going to be one of these forever wars um, settling into that. And it's important to realize that it's a very different situation. And, and we have these major powers that are engaged and we have horrific war crimes that we're 
that are happening. And so one that I underscored was just the discovery in Mariupola of a, um, a mass grave that is is 20 times larger than a horrific one that was found outside of Kiev in that in the town of Buka. Um, they estimate there are 9,000 bodies there mm. in, in this grave. Um, the mayor of, of Mariupol says that uh, based on satellite imagery, based on eyewitness accounts, it appears that corpses were being placed in this grave every single day in the month of April. And that's just a horrific thing to contemplate. And, and um, you know, I don't, I don't know that he will be proven far off the mark when he says that this could become the greatest war crime of the 21st century. And so, so all these things are happening that they're happening in real time, and and yet we're trying to um, also stay on top of that and trying to, uh, in the midst of the fighting, access to these kinds of situations and being able to confirm and know what's up. But we know a lot, and we know that war crimes are happening and that civilians are suffering uh, just incredible rates during this war. One of the things I've been noting just in my own observation, Mindy, is a, a willingness, even among secular people, um, to use words that are theological in relationship mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. what we're experiencing. There there seems to be a willingness to use the word evil, which is a, an intrinsically mm-hmm. theological word and term. Um, there seems mm-hmm. to be a willingness to describe acts um, in ways that um, are theological and to recognize human beings and their bodies as important in ways that um, I'm not sure the secular world has valued life, the individual life, or the physical body. I mean, there's a reason these people are, their bodies are being exhumed from a mass grave and then being buried with dignity individually um, with, with markers, you know, with grave markers. Can you just reflect on that in terms of what you've seen around the world over the course of time? Um, this seems like an opportunity for Christians to bring a morality to bear on the conversation. Right. Well, I think, I, I mean, it's a big question, but I think you and I have talked about conflicts in Syria, in Iraq, um, in Africa. But, but you know, if we think about, for instance, the Syrian war, where we also saw horrific images, we also talked about the evil that was being perpetuated there. Underlying that, though, was this idea this was a civil war. This was a war that Syrians had had a hand in starting. And, and so you had this like contested space where people would say, yes, but they did this because they're terrorists, or yes, but they did this because they started the attack first. Here we have an unprovoked war. I, I mean, I think mm. that that is really blatantly clear to everyone. And, and you know, we could spend a lot of time ar- arguing that I think for most civilians in Syria, Syria was an unprovoked war. Um, but this has played out in front of the world clearly as an unprovoked war, that Ukraine was not attacking Russia, that Ukraine was not even threatening Russia, and um, and that and that Russia simply went in as an aggressor, as uh, a conqueror, as wanting to gain and, and spread and, and gain empire into Europe and into parts of Europe that 
border NATO countries. And so I think it is much clearer in, in a way that World War II was clear. It, it does, those parallels I think are real because Hitler began to invade countries, that, you know, in an unprovoked way and, and just simply take them over. And so I think that people recognize that just by a, a cursory look at the headlines. But I think beyond that too, it's just simply the character of the Ukrainians. And, and we do have a country that is, about 90%, 80% um, uh, Christian. And that is, that is I, would, I would say, devoutly Christian in terms of adherence to most of those Christians are Orthodox believers, but strong adherence to the, the worship and the, and the work of the Orthodox Church. But then this vibrant growth of, um, of Protestant belief that came out of the 90s after Ukraine was granted independence from the Soviet Union. And so you have had, I think the other thing that we're seeing is just a stark contrast of what freedom has done in Ukraine over the last 30 years in contrast to what little freedom has done in, in Russia and how every inch of ground in the, in the space of religious freedom has been hard fought and, and little won in Russia. And in Ukraine, you've had just this vibrant growth of, of civil organizations and, um, and, and religious um, organizations that mirrors what we, you know, we kind of take for granted in the United States. And out of that, people, people have something to fight for. And so it's not only President Zelensky, but this incredible homegrown army that is now, you know, I mean, they, they have a guidebook. They've posted videos on, on YouTube so that the people who've joined the army can learn how to use these 21st century weapons that are being sent in from the United States and European countries. That's and it's, it, yeah, we haven't seen anything quite like it. But That's I do amazing. think you're right that it comes from, it comes from a place of belief and therefore it is, it, it is striking to see it in action. And, and so um, it's something that we can all continue to watch and learn from, I think. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Mindy Bells in just a moment. We're taking a globe trot. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Mindy Bells, you can follow her Substack, Mindy Bells, B-E-L-Z dot Substack dot com. That's where you'll find the globe trot. Um, Mindy, tell us what is going on just across the border of Ukraine and Belarus. Well, Belarus, you know, had uh, thousands of Russian troops parked there for months and um, and has been through its own uh, upheaval politically, but but is clearly on the side of Russia in this war. And so, what we've actually seen as the war has continued is that is that pastors, clergy, um, who have spoken out against the war, are now themselves being targeted. And um, in particular, uh, we've gotten reports of. Um, Greek Catholic, Orthodox Protestant leaders being targeted, and um, and in some cases their homes raided. I, I mean, these are things that you know are just out of like the 30s or out of um, uh, Soviet times. Mm. Um, 
and they have uh, basically there, and, and in a few cases, they were actually jailed. And so it's a, it's a it's a campaign of intimidation to bring everyone. And of course, we're seeing this in Russia too. We we maybe know less about it. Um, but you have had a remarkable number, and I think it's important to remember this. You know, as we want to pray for all of God's people in these in these places, it's important to remember that a number of Russian clergy, Belarusian clergy, have stood up against the regimes and and have made public statements against the war, and they're paying a price for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love for you to also give us a little bit of a look into what's going on in. Hungary, uh, I think that among um, politically conservative individuals, there's some news there. Um, but as we consider what's happening in uh, in in Eastern Europe, like it seems like a good idea to pay attention to what's happening in Hungary. Well, yeah, because these these aren't it's not a monolithic place, and so in Hungary you have extremely conservative government. Some would call it a, a nationalist government, and I do think if you look at some of the what I would call propaganda coming out of it, it has that flavor. Um, the the uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban has now won uh, multiple elections. I'm forgetting exactly how many, but he's, he's clearly is is like on a track to be a, a Putin type figure, and so it's worth watching from that standpoint. Um, interestingly, though, a number of conservatives in this country have been allies of Orban and allies of, of people in his government. And I would say that they've they've had like some strong religious freedom act activists within that government. And so it's easy to see why that's happened. Um, but now we will see um, uh, happening this this year that the conservative the conservative political action conference or CPAC, which is one of the most and largest gatherings that happens here in the United States is actually going to assemble in Budapest. And, and Viktor Orban will be the keynote speaker. And so I think we want to watch in the context of all these things that are happening in Europe, uh, how, how these countries align uh, in the face of Russian aggression. Do they, do they mirror it? Do they, um, uh, do they stand up against it? And and I think Hungary is a really big question mark and a really powerful, influential country that we'll be wanting to watch. All right. We um we don't have a lot of time left, so I want to talk about Afghanistan and Lebanon, but I also want to tee up the conversation about China. So let's just jump to the China conversation. Mm-hmm. And then let me encourage everybody to check out uh, Mindy's Substack. Again, Mindy Bells, B-E-L-Z dot substack dot com. What's happening in China? Well, in China, interestingly enough, I've been following uh, the a, a, what I consider just a really kind of groundbreaking um, book that has come out. It, it came out late last week called Faith in the Wilderness, Words of Exhortation from the Chinese Church. It is the first time that we've had in sort of a, a book, a bound form, essays that you almost can read as like a devotional that are from um, about a dozen or so pastors in the Chinese church. And I mean, the interesting thing is that it's it's just simply a miracle and a risk to them that this book is in print. Some of them are going by their own names. Some of them have chosen pseudonyms because of the threats against them. But the reality is that all of them are under threats. And, mm-hmm. and we want to watch and see what happens, you know, <laughs> as a result of this book. But 
but as I began to to read through some of these essays, they've been coming out bit by bit and, and, and now having an actual copy of the book in my hands, the words that they have are remarkable. They are simply able to, I think, hone into the 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 grounding that uh, the ground that we all walk as we as we try to walk faithfully um, as believers. They've they have a, a feel for that in a way that uh, few of us are able to grasp simply because of the experiences of suffering that they've had. And so they have a lot to teach us about suffering and about perseverance, I think, which is something we all face, even if our suffering is is maybe minor in, in the context of world events, um, it still is going to be an aggravation in our days, right? And so I think that there's just a lot, no matter where we are, a lot that we can learn. Um, from what I consider just a really unique word that's being delivered to us here in the English language in the United States the, uh, from the Chinese church. That's so good. All right. I'm, um, I'm teeing that one up to get a copy of and, um, and have a conversation about. So thanks so much for highlighting it, making us aware of it. Uh, again, Mindy Bells, you can find her on Substack. You ought to be following her Substack, Mindy Bells, B-E-L-Z dot Substack dot com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. When you think about the grace of God and you think about it being enough, how do you communicate it to kids? Well, how do you communicate it with others? How does God make it right when we've got it wrong? That's the new book, His Grace is Enough, by Melissa Kruger, and she joins us next. There's only grace. Melissa Kruger joins us now. She is wife to Mike Kruger. She is mom to Emma John and Kate. She uh, she blogs Wits End and Canon Fodder. And maybe um, you know most importantly today, uh, for those of you uh, who are listening with your furry friends, she has a dog named Gus. All right. <laughs> She's also an author, and she has a new children's book out. It's her second one. This one is His Grace is Enough, How God Makes It Right When We've Got It Wrong. Melissa, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me again. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, So let's talk about grace. First of all, that's a really big word when we're communicating with really little kids. It is. And it's part of that difficulty that led me to write this book. How do we explain such an abstract concept to little children? Really, how do we explain it to ourselves sometimes? So that's, you know, it's as much for the adult as it is for the child in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the heart behind this book. I really wanted to think through how do we explain this concept of God's grace to little children? So um, I don't know if this was intentional, but let me tell you that uh, one of my notes that I made for myself was discuss with Melissa how this is really a parenting book. This <laughs> is this is a parenting book because one of the things that happens in this book is that the parent doesn't hide from the conversation. The parent mm-hmm. doesn't avoid the conversation. The parent pursues the child um, in love 
with forgiveness and this pursuit, this way the grace of God pursues us is evident in how the parents in this book pursue their children for conversations about grace. That's right, because the parent, um, I think sometimes we fail to view ourselves as a fellow recipient of grace. Um, I think we can wrongly, as parents, sometimes think, well, my job is just to get my kid right, you know, and and, and to uh, make sure they're obedient, to do all of these things, rather than remember and really view them from a place of compassion, that we're both fellow recipients of grace. And so I am trying to teach my child this concept at the same time I'm being a receiver of this grace from God. And so as the Lord deals with me patiently, when I make mistakes over and over and over again, we want to be the type of parents who deal graciously with our children when they make mistakes over and over and over again. So I don't know, Melissa, uh, if you are... um recognizing the same thing that uh, that I'm recognizing. I feel like there's a rise in publishing really good content in children's books that's also designed to reach parents who were not well discipled. And I want to say that like gently, but also <laughs> recognizing this reality that we have a whole maybe generation, maybe two, maybe three generations of like undiscipled adults who now want to disciple their kids, but recognize this is not the way I was raised. I don't actually know how to go seek out my child when they're hiding because they're ashamed because they know they did something wrong. And so I just let them go, you know, sit in their room and try to figure it out for themselves. Well, that's not going to happen. It didn't work for us. It's not going to work for them. Talk about like this new generation of young parents who were not discipled and now are trying to disciple their children. Yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult thing, isn't it? Because especially when we think about something like grace, because what this can lead to in our minds is maybe a permissive attitude in parenting, and that is not what we're going for at all. Um, So when we talk about grace, some parents might think, well, that means you just don't hold your child accountable and you let them get away with whatever they're doing and you, you never give consequences. Well, that's absolutely not what we mean when we discuss the concept of grace. And actually, one of the things I try to do in the book, yeah, there's a line. Um, not free to send more. He doesn't want that, but free to live free. And that's a great fact. So what we're trying to do is actually teach this biblical concept of grace. And that's something a lot of adults don't understand, just like you're saying, you know, in your question. And so my hope is that in teaching the children, I'm reinforcing um, the truths of scripture to the, the parent, because grace is so actually powerful that yes, it frees us from sin's penalty, but it also frees us from sin's power. And we sometimes forget that. Like God's grace doesn't just say, okay, now you get off. God's grace actually changes us as people. And so we want to impress that upon our children when God's grace is active in our life. Yes, it means he forgives us, but it also means he's going to change us to be more and more like Jesus. And so we want to, as we teach our kids about grace, what we're trying to show them is that it is 
full-bodied. It's not just, oh yeah, now you're getting off and there's no, you know, there's no punishment for what you did or something like that, but explain what it's actually doing. And that's a hard concept for us in, in some ways. And this is what Paul, you know, it, it talks about in the book of Romans. Oh, so should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And of course he says, by no means. I mean, so these are questions adults have, not just our children have. Um, and I'm hoping that the book you know, in a simplistic way will help us all understand that. And in some ways, one of my friends, when she read it, she said, basically, this is Romans condensed. And so Mm -hmm. I said, wait, that's what we're hoping for with this. No, I love that. Romans condensed is a good way to think about it. Um, I also, uh, again, we're talking with Melissa Kruger. The book is His Grace is Enough, How God Makes It Right When We've Got It Wrong. It is a children's book, but I think it's also Um, a book for all of us who are children of God. It's a good starting point for conversation with any new disciple who is is trying to not just apply Scripture to life, but integrate the reality of grace into life. When Melissa says um, that this is grace that is full-bodied, you know, we just acknowledge Jesus came full of grace and truth. So what does it look like for us to be people who are full of grace? Uh, and become gracious and graceful in our uh, in our walk every single day. So I really appreciate it. Um, when we talk about how grace works, that's one of the things that you deal with um, in this children's book. And so you get us to the cross. Why does that matter? Um, in every single way, you know, the cross is the place where we start to understand grace. Um, here's the good news that actually your sin has been paid for. And so this is what um, I love. My husband actually uses this analogy. He says the cross acts like a divine sponge and takes all the punishment we deserve. So there's none left. There's absolutely none left. So I think a lot of people, um, we continually look back at our sin and we think God can't really forgive me. Um, I, I can't ever be good enough. And then when you when we look back at the cross, we realize it's already been paid. And because God is actually a just God, he would never commit double jeopardy. He'd never make you pay twice for something that's already been paid for. Um, and so it's one of it's this divine exchange that we get. And, and it's found at the cross. And at the cross, you see God's divine justice met with his divine love. And they're there on full display. That's the only way the cross makes sense um, is to see his justice fully being served at the same time that his love is being poured out for all of those who will come to Christ by faith. Yeah, there's a reason we go to the cross in a book about grace, because we can't understand grace without um, understanding how holiness and love, these two uh, ways that we understand who God is, are both perfectly revealed at the cross and in the cross and in the act of Christ upon the cross. So we go to the cross in order to understand grace, and then we go from the cross um, walking out our faith into the world. And we do so as people of grace, being conformed by one degree of glory to another, more into the likeness of Christ, who was what? Full of grace and truth. So you say to yourself, how is all of that covered in a children's book? Mm -hmm. The book is His Grace is Enough, how God makes it right when we've got it wrong. Um, the rhyming is fantastic. Uh, the parenting encouragement and how we move toward our children when they are hiding, when they are ashamed, when they've done something wrong and they know it, 
when they are trying to um, fix it themselves or make up for what they've done, um, how we acknowledge that, you know, forgiveness means we can't clean up our own messes um, and that we will come alongside them um, to to work for restoration where that is necessary. So it's just fantastic. His grace is enough. How God makes it right when we've got it wrong. We're going to continue our conversation with Melissa Kruger in just a moment. We're talking with Melissa Kruger. We've been talking about her brand new children's book, His Grace is Enough, How God Makes It Right When We've Got It Wrong. You can visit with Melissa at her website, Melissa B, as in boy, Melissa B. Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R dot com. Um, Melissa, love to uh, expand the conversation just a little bit and talk about um, some of the things you've written in the past. I am thinking back now a handful of years to your book on identity, um, identity theft, and and just to, you know, maybe what are some of the conversations you've had in the subsequent years? I mean, as that has worked its way into people's thinking and into our living, because it's not, that's not a like a one-off conversation. That's a conversation that we grow into over time. It's one thing for me to say, I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed in Christ Jesus. It's another thing for me to live into that identity. Yes, it's been really interesting um, to hear from people about the book because I've heard from women who are studying it who are 16 and kind of on the cusp of adulthood and um, thinking through who they are in Christ. But one of the most encouraging things was I, I heard from a group of older women and they were all widows. And they said to me, um, you know, we we realized we've lived our whole life with our spouse and now they're gone and we're going through this whole identity crisis. Who am I now without a spouse? And so I realized, you know, this isn't a conversation that just happens once and then we get it right. You know, it's not like, okay. Um, I've got that my identity is in Jesus at 18, and now I'm going to live in that the rest of my life. Um, we go through a lot of different seasons as we um, go through life, whatever whatever roles we play, um, whether it's being in the workplace, whether it's being in the home, um, whether it's being a spouse or whether it's being a not a spouse, you know, just different ways that we go through life. And so what I'm hoping is that this book will be one that people return to again and again to remind us, um, this is the foundation of my life. These are the the truths of who I am as a believer um, that we will probably need to return to at different seasons for a variety of reasons. Um, as our life goes through changes and shifts, these things don't shift. Um, that the fact that I am a saint, the fact that I am called by God, the fact that I am beloved by God, the fact that I am a child of God, these things um, are fixed because Christ has saved me. And so I think those are kind of those foundational truths we have to go back to time and time again. Very foundational. And um, I, I think that noting that there are different seasons in life, maybe uh, a season where my dreams have not turned into reality, right? I mean, I think that at 18, um, the way that young women raised in the church or young women who who come to Christ, the way they see 
um, the possibility of their future may be quite different than um, a woman who has, uh, you know, is maybe even twice that age um, and has come to the place where maybe marriage is not what God has for her because she's moved through the season of her life when she thought that would happen and she thought she would have children and she imagined these things and those things are not what God has given. And so who am I? Am I, if I'm in the church and I'm not married and don't have kids and I'm in my late thirties or early forties, I got to tell you, there are some real questions about identity and God's faithfulness and God's love, but you deal with that in this book because you, you help us return to the conversation about identity um, and who we are as children of God, called by God, saints, ambassadors. It's it's a healthy um, conversation to have different ages and stages of life. And so just wanted to remind everybody of it. It's called Identity Theft. It is um, by Melissa Kruger, but in conversation with others as well. I can't remember all of the women uh, who who participated in um, in that particular book, Melissa, but I just remember thinking at the time, this is really rich and we ought to um, we ought to return periodically to this conversation about identity. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so important because especially with women in the church, one thing that you said, I'll just comment on, you know, I think we can really um, sometimes hone in on certain uh, paths for women. <laughs> um, yes. and, and, and therefore, if that's not what the Lord brings you, and that's not what um, your life turns out like, I think there are a lot of women who feel lost in the church um, because their life doesn't look like, you know, 80% of, of the rest of the church. And so what we really did try to do in this book is um, really hone in on what is true for every Christian. Um, the, these are identity markers that are true, you know, whether you have 10 children <laughs> or whether you have zero children, you know, and that you're living your life um, single. I mean, and, and here's the encouraging thing. I always want to remind people, you know, Paul was a single man um, in the church. And so, you know, we have so many opportunities um, to use our gifts in the church and our identity is not wrapped up in um, the season of life we're in or um, the fact that we're a wife and a mother and all of these things. Our identity is primarily rooted in who we are in Christ. And I think sometimes we can really um, get away from that in the church. And, and, and I just want to remind both men and women, that's our primary identity. Um, it's not that the other things we do aren't important, but our primary identity is who we are in Christ. So is that the next children's book as well? <laughs> oh, because mm. I, I, I think our kids are, I think our kids have serious identity issues as well and are like super confused um, on yes. that topic. But anyway, this, this book, um, His Grace is Enough, How God Makes It Right When We've Got It Wrong is so good. The illustrations are um, just so dear and so compelling. I like, uh, I love the little blanket image and I like that the cat is under there too, right? <laughs> Isabel is amazing. She's just so creative. Um, the, she's the illustrator. She's so creative in the details she puts in. Um, we worked together on my first kid's book, which was wherever you go, I want you to know. And one of the things I love, there's this little girl with her heel kicked up and there was a teacup on the heel. It was the little details that I love that she puts in, um, which makes it really fun for kids to look at all the different pictures um, as they're reading the book. 
I will say, as a as a dog person, um, I, I I was concerned that she seems very pro cat. That is true. You know, I had mm. not thought of that. That is very perceptive. <laughs> there are no doggies, are there? Huh. Well, mm-hmm. it's a, it's okay. There are teddy bears, and there <laughs> are and there are kitty cats, and there's dinosaurs, and and all of that. So those are all really great. But yes, as a dog person, I was noting it seems fairly um, <clears throat> cat. <laughs> cat biased. Yeah. Um, Melissa, what a joy. It's so fun um, to visit with you. Obviously, we love what um, what Michael is doing and appreciate uh, the ministry that both of you have through the Gospel Coalition. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you for joining us today. The book is His Grace is Enough, How God Makes It Right When We've Got It Wrong. You can visit with Melissa Kruger at her website, melissabkruger.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So the month of May here at Faith Radio, we're going to focus on blessing. We're going to talk about the blessing in which we live, the blessings we are privileged to extend to others. We're going to talk about the blessed life. We're going to talk about living in God's blessing. And so I thought that this morning um, we would conclude with a benediction. I've done this before. People have appreciated it. So um, I'd appreciate it if you would get into a posture of receptivity. And again, if you're driving, eyes on the road. But if you're not driving, maybe just close your eyes for a moment and maybe open your hands and receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord Turn his face toward you and give you peace. What does it look like for us to periodically just receive the Lord's blessing? It is from the Father's hand that all blessings flow. They flow to you today in in ways that sometimes we don't pause to consider. The air we breathe. The way that spring is beginning to show itself forth. The grace poured out. The very fact that God has revealed himself and that we can know him. All of these are blessings. Let's spend some time today counting our blessings. Let's spend some time today opening our hands and receiving the blessings that God pours forth. And then let's be people of blessing. Blessing God, right? Bless God. And blessing others, that we would be conduits of his grace in the world that he so loves. Thank you for joining me on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'd appreciate it if you would pass this along to someone else via the Faith Radio app or at myfaithradio.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.